All right, Genesis chapter 35. Let's begin reading at verse 1 together. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had, and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. As they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. He built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, and the eyes of our understanding that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. Let this be more than one man's idea. Let, let this be something the Holy Spirit would drive into our hearts today. Let it be a message, not a sermon. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I especially pray for sons and daughters who have drifted, they've wandered from the faith. Draw them back to you, Lord. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. On August 28, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. and declared, I have a dream. That speech embodied the heart and soul of the civil rights movement and served as a rallying cry that captured the longing of an oppressed people and helped shape the direction of America. Today, as we are preparing to step over into a new year, I want to talk to you about dreams and the power of dreams. I want to talk to you about your dreams. I want to talk about what happens when your dream dies and how to recapture a God-given, God-sized dream for your life. Over 80 times in the Gospels, Jesus spoke of his dream of the kingdom of God. Jesus dreamed of a kingdom where God ruled redemptively in people and over their institutions. The words and works of Jesus can best be explained and understood in light of this kingdom dream. Dreams are important. Dreams have impact. A dream gives a person a story to tell. A dream gives direction and motivation to life. Dreams give us a sense of purpose. 
Dreams cause us to face each new day with a sense of excitement and confidence. Dreams propel us toward our destiny. But most of us could tell of people we know who have, for whatever reason, stopped dreaming. The dream they once held dear has died. There are a lot of reasons why dreams die. Some dreams get shattered on the hard rocks of reality. Some dreams die at the hands of dream killers. Things like accidents or outside forces beyond our control or even by other people who are determined to block even the smallest achievement. Sometimes there are giants that block our dreams from ever materializing. And sometimes dreams die from nothing more than the sheer monotony of life's daily routine where we get so caught up in the necessary details until we lose sight of the big picture. I've discovered it's easy to lose momentum and start aimlessly wandering when life gets daily. <laughs> it's easy to suffer from mission drift and shift focus from the sublime to the mundane. It's easy to get so caught up in the trees that we miss the beauty and the grandeur of the forest. When the rug gets pulled out from under us, when the, green, the dream gets shattered, it's easy to retreat, lose heart, and lose hope. It's easy to get ground down into something that is only existence instead of really living. It's easy to get so focused on trying to survive until we lose sight of the hopeful possibilities of a God-birthed, God-sized dream. That's what happened to the man who is the central character of the verses we read as the text for the message today, a man named Jacob. When you read Jacob's story, you find he was a man tremendously blessed by God. From the moment of his birth, God had his hand upon his life. But most of you will remember that Jacob got off to a rough start. You know, Jacob was the second-born son of Isaac and Rebekah, and he was born holding onto the heel of his twin brother Esau as if he were trying to pull him back into the womb so he could be born first. In fact, his very name means heel grabber, supplanter. He was a trickster, uh, a shady character, a sneak. As the brothers grew, the father was always partial to Esau, who was an outdoorsman, a man of the fields and the woods, while Jacob, a homebody, uh, he was Rebekah's favorite. Most of you will remember the events of that fateful day when Esau thought more of his temporary physical desire for food than he did of his future inheritance, and he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. And then there was the incident where Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, conspired to deceive Father Isaac and managed to steal the blessing of the firstborn for Jacob as well. When Jacob's underhanded trick became known, Esau was furious. In order to escape the wrath of his brother, Jacob left home and journeyed toward the tents of his mother's brother, Uncle Laban. After a hard day of traveling, he stopped in the clearing out in the middle of nowhere to camp for the night. And there with his head pillowed upon a stone out under the stars, 
God appeared to Jacob in a dream. You, you can read the full account in chapter 28 of the book of Genesis. In his dream, Jacob saw a ladder stretched from heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending upon it. And he heard the voice of the Lord promising that he would inherit the land that had been given to Abraham in a covenant. God further promised Jacob that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth in number, and he would keep him as he traveled, would not leave him, and would one day bring him back to his homeland. Now, that's what you call a God dream. When Jacob awoke, he exclaimed, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. He assembled some stones and used them to erect a memorial altar, and he named that place Bethel, meaning house of God. There at Bethel, God gave Jacob a kingdom dream. At Bethel, God revealed to Jacob how he was going to work in his life. At Bethel, God gave Jacob a purpose for his life and established him as the undisputed heir to the promises of God for his chosen people. That's an incredible dream. Wouldn't you agree? Five of us agree with that. Okay, good. <laughs> that, was the, that was the audience participation part of the message. Okay, so You missed it. But what you soon discover is when Jacob left that campsite, he had a dream, but the dream didn't yet have him. As the story continues, we find Jacob arriving in the tents of his uncle Laban, and there he met the most beautiful girl who forever captured his heart, Rachel. I don't have time to talk about all the drama that surrounded him being able to marry her, but you can read about it in chapter 29 of Genesis. Suffice it to say, it took 14 years of labor for Rachel to be his bride. Finally, in chapter 31, after having his wages changed over and over again, Jacob left the tents of Laban to return to his homeland of Canaan. In chapter 32, he acknowledged his fear of his brother Esau, and it was in this chapter, the angel of the Lord wrestled with him, and Jacob received a heavenly blessing that included a change of his name to Israel. So here he is. The trickster has actually made something of himself. Jacob is successful by every conceivable means of measuring success. He is prosperous beyond anything he ever anticipated. But when, when Jacob returns to the land of Canaan, it's interesting to observe he doesn't go to any of the places you might expect. He doesn't return to the family homestead to be near his father. He doesn't take up residence in Bethel. Instead, he settles down in a place called Shechem. Jacob's household by this time is quite large with many sons and daughters as well as servants. He's achieved everything his heart desires. Everybody looking on from the outside thinks he's living his dream. In this place of comfort, however, the dream suddenly turns into a nightmare. His world is shattered and things start to fall apart. His daughter is raped by the son of the ruler of the city, who then tries to force a marriage. In order to avenge their sister, the sons of Jacob concoct a plot of deception that ends in the destruction of all the inhabitants of the city. When the dust settles, Jacob is faced with a shattered dream and a new reality. 
He laments his condition in verse 30 of chapter 34 when he says to his sons, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me and I shall be destroyed, I and my household. Where once before Jacob had dreamed of spreading out to the east, west, north, and south, now he was afraid he and his household were going to be wiped off the map. Where before he was assured of God's presence and God's blessing, now he felt isolated in the midst of angry, hostile men. Somewhere in the midst of all the hostility and isolation, the kingdom dream God had given Jacob so many years before at Bethel had been shattered. It was replaced by fear, indecision, apprehension, a loss of confidence, and a loss of hope. This is the background story that brings us to the text that we read earlier as the text of the message for today. In the midst of Jacob's despair, the Lord spoke to him once again in verse 1 of chapter 35 that we read just a moment ago and said, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Now, I just wonder if there's anybody listening to this message today who can identify with having your dream shattered. The details of your situation may be different from the story of Jacob, but you know what it's like to have your dream turn into a nightmare. Is there anybody who knows what that's like? If you're listening to this message today, holding in your hands the pieces of a shattered dream, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will somehow make the steps Jacob took very real to you. I'm praying that faith will begin to rise in your heart so you will dare to dream again. See, I'm persuaded to believe God has some big dreams he wants fulfilled in your life. Out of the ashes of yesterday's failure, those dreams are going to take shape, rise up, and propel you to your destiny. If your dream has been crushed and you want God's dream reborn in your life, The Lord says, first of all, to return to the place. The Lord literally sent Jacob back to Bethel. But when I talk about returning to the place, it isn't so much there is a physical place to which you need to return as it is a place in God, a place of fellowship, a place of communion with him. I'm talking about your relationship with him. See, when life gets daily, when expectations fail, when the dream dies, there's this great tendency to pull away, go into seclusion, and either start building walls of isolation so you insulate against the pain, or you expend a lot of energy and resources trying to make things happen by your own ingenuity. And what the Lord would say to you is, come back to the secret place. Shut out the distractions of the world. Shut out the voices that keep pulling you first one way and then another and cause you to lose your focus. Stop listening to those who tell you only what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. Stop looking at somebody else's dream to see what your dream is supposed to be. They have their dream, but their dream isn't your dream. See, years ago, Andre Crouch wrote, take me back, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. 
Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. That's what the Lord is calling for. When you go back to the place where the dream was first born, then you begin to discover what the real dream was all about. You begin to clarify your purpose. You begin to remind yourself of what your life is supposed to look like. Because when you return to the place, then you also begin to remember the promise. When Jacob returned to Bethel, he began to reminisce about what happened to him the first time he was there. He remembered that angelic host descending and ascending on that ladder. He remembered the awe he felt in the presence of God in that place, and he had been able to have a heavenly encounter. When Jacob first stopped at Bethel so many years before, you know, he wasn't even sure he wanted to follow the Lord. You read the story. Oh, sure, he'd been born into the family of the covenant, but he hadn't fully embraced his position. See, at at that point, God wasn't even his God. Remember? When the Lord spoke to Jacob in chapter 28, verse 13, he identified himself as the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. He, He wasn't even Jacob's God. And Jacob wanted to put some conditions on the relationship he was going to have with him. Because he said in verses 20 and 21, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Now, here it is years later, and God has been with him. God has done everything he said he would do. Jacob has come back to the original place of divine encounter, and he begins to remember not only God's promise to him, but he also remembers his promise to God. I'm talking to somebody today who needs to go back into your memory banks, and you need to, first of all, remember the promises God has made to you. You need to remember what he has called you to be in him. You need to remember not just who you are, but whose you are. You need to remember the power of God that's been placed in your life. You need to remember the promises he's made to you. You need to remember where he's brought you from. You need to remember the grace and mercy and loving kindness and faithfulness that he's demonstrated toward you. You need to remember how God rescued you. You need to remember how God protected you. You need to remember how God brought you out of a dark place. You need to remember how God sustained you. Ah, But at the same time, you need to remember the promises you made to him. You need to remember when you told the Lord you would surrender your life to him. You need to remember how you told him you would serve him. You need to remember the pledges and the vows you made to the Lord. You need to remember how you told him you'd go where he wanted you to go and you'd say what he wanted you to say and you'd do what he wanted you to do and you'd be what he wanted you to be. You need to remember those promises and reaffirm those promises. If your dream has been shattered, you need to return to the place, remember the promise. Then you need to reaffirm your position. When Jacob announced to his family they were heading back to Bethel, he told them in verse 8, Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Everything may not have turned out just like you thought it would in your life, but hear me, God is still with you. He's your father. You're still his child. He hasn't given up on you, so don't you give up on him. You know, every now and then, I find myself in a place where it seems like nothing productive will ever occur. Has anybody ever been there? 
feel like I'm just spinning my wheels and nothing is happening. In those times, I often survey the landscape of my life and tell myself, well, John, everything may have fallen apart, but one thing's for sure, I'm saved. I may have just blown my last chance for success, but I'm saved. I may have just run out of resources, but I'm saved. I may have just exhausted my last possibility, but I'm still saved. As bad as my past was, it does not determine my future because I'm saved. And it doesn't matter whether you think I'm a success or a failure because I'm saved. It doesn't matter if you think I'm a great guy or if you think I'm a waste of good air. I'm saved. If my situation never turns around, I'm saved. If I never recoup my losses, I'm saved. If my circumstances never improve, I'm saved. If my hopes are never realized, I'm saved. Am I talking to any saved people today? Every now and then, you need to tap yourself on the shoulder and reaffirm your position and tell yourself, I'm saved. <laughs> Return to the place, remember the promise. Reaffirm your position. Then if you want to recapture your dream, you need to refocus your priorities. In verse 2, Jacob gave instructions to his household before they started back to Bethel. He told them, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. You know, earlier when, when Jacob was evacuating his family and returning to Canaan, his beloved Rachel filched the little household idol from her father's tent. And when Laban chased them down, you remember, he demanded its return. Jacob, however, didn't know what she had done, so he innocently told him they didn't have it. But all the while, it was in the saddlebag upon which Rachel was sitting. So now here we are years later, and that idol and others like it had been permitted in the camp. All the time they were back in the promised land, Jehovah was just one God among many in the tents of Jacob. But now crisis has come. Everything's been stripped away. The dream has been shattered. And Jacob recognizes if he's ever going to have a God-sized dream again, he's going to have to get his priorities straight, and he's going to have to give God his rightful place. Jehovah just isn't just a God among many. He is the God. He isn't going to share billing with any other who makes claims of deity. He's not going to be co-God with anybody. And if you're ever going to get a God-sized dream, you're going to have to put God at the center. You're going to have to put away anything that would try to compete with him for first place in your life. You're going to have to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, there are a lot of things clamoring for your attention. There are a lot of things vying for your affection. There are a lot of good things you can pursue, but in the end, they're not going to get you the best. To get a God-sized dream, God's going to have to be the most important thing in your life. He's going to have to be more important than your relationship, 
more important than your recreation, more important than your recognition, more important than your riches. See, I'm not talking about having a dream of being a millionaire. I'm not talking about having a dream of owning a fleet of luxury automobiles. I'm not talking about having a dream of running an empire. I'm not talking about having a dream of being the smartest or the bravest or the coolest or having the largest following. I'm talking about a God dream, a God-glorifying dream, a dream that will propel you toward your spiritual destiny. If you're going to get one of those dreams, you're going to have to lay aside the good in order to pursue the best. Put away the foreign gods. And then Jacob said, purify yourselves. We're going back to the place God spoke to me. We're going back to the place where God ordered my priorities. You know, the last time I was in that place, it took me by surprise. I was just trying to get a good night's sleep after a long day of walking before continuing my journey when the Lord surprised me with his presence. I didn't even know he was anywhere around. Then I suddenly found myself in the midst of his glory. Uh, but this time we go back to that. I, this time's different. This time I know what I'm looking for. This is the place of divine encounter. This is the place where I remember the promise. This is the place where I reaffirm my position. God is going to be present when we get there. So if you want God to speak to you and heal your hurt and rekindle the dream, you don't come into his presence with unclean hands. You don't come with unclean hearts. You don't come with unclean lips. You're going to have to put aside malice and wrath and bitterness. And I'm preaching to somebody right now and anger and jealousy and envy and strife and unforgiveness. Put it away. You're going to have to put aside dependence upon every other God, gods of rationality, gods of warm personality, gods of tradition. Purify yourselves. And then he tells them to change your garments. In the Bible, the idea of garments often speaks of habits. I mean, even today we speak of an equestrian wearing a riding habit. So you want a God dream? Change your garments. Change your habits. Change the way you behave. Change the way you think. Change the way you operate. Am I doing all right? You've been operating according to the flesh. Start operating according to the spirit. You've been operating according to fear. Start operating according to faith. We we just came out of chapter 34 where we took revenge on the men of Shechem and as a result made ourselves a stench in the nostrils of the people of the land. So stop acting like the people of the world and start acting like people of the covenant. Start acting like people of the promise. (laughs) You don't realize your dream by playing cutthroat. You don't realize your dream at the expense of others. You don't realize your dream by out-hustling the competition. Change your habits. Start acting like your faith and your confidence is in the Lord rather than in the arm of flesh. Return to the place. Remember the promise. Reaffirm your position. Refocus your priorities. Then reconnect in prayer. Verse 7 reveals something very important about what happened when Jacob got back to Bethel. It says, he built an altar there. Understand, this isn't just some religious ritual Jacob is performing. An altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place of surrender. An altar is a place where a divine connection is made. As we surrender ourselves to the will and the plan and the purpose of God. If you're recovering from a shattered dream, if you need to rekindle a dream, if you're looking to receive a God-sized dream, then build an altar. Let me tell you. Kingdom dreams don't come from books. 
Kingdom dreams don't come prepackaged from denominational headquarters. Kingdom dreams don't come from the way we, we remember it being done when we were children. Kingdom dreams only come when you're open before the Lord and when you spend time with him in prayer. So if God seems far away, build an altar. If you're hurting from feeling let down, build an altar. If you're struggling to regain your footing, build an altar. Because at an altar, faith will be renewed. At an altar, power will be restored. At an altar, confidence will be regained. I'm telling you, when the dream dies, build an altar. Return to the place, remember the promise, reaffirm your position, refocus your priorities, reconnect in prayer. Got time for two more? If you don't, God bless you and have a happy new year. (laughs) Release hindering people. This is worth the price of admission right here, okay? It's interesting to me, right in the middle of this story of God rebuilding Jacob's dream, we are told about people who are dying. The first one is in verse 8. We didn't read that far down in the, in, in the, in the chapter, but in verse 8, it says, now Rebecca, or now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. We aren't really told just when Jacob's mother, Rebecca, died, but apparently his old nurse, Deborah, came to tell Jacob about the death of his mother, and then Deborah stayed on in the tents of Jacob. So we are told directly about Deborah's death, and we have implied the death of Rebecca. Then at the end of this chapter, we're told of the death of Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. She dies giving birth to his 12th son, Benjamin. Now, I want you to think about these people in the the context of Jacob receiving a new dream, a God-sized dream. Rebecca was his beloved mother, and Deborah was in some ways a later representation of her to Jacob. And while Jacob dearly loved his mother, you remember it was his mother who enabled his dysfunction. It was his mother who hatched the plot for him to deceive his father and steal the blessing of the firstborn for himself. Rachel was his beloved wife, but it was Rachel who had stolen the household idols from Laban. Such was his love for Rachel that Jacob was never willing to confront her and insist that those idols be discarded in favor of exclusive worship of Jehovah. Jacob made allowances for her and in turn allowed his camp to be divided in their worship loyalties. I'm trying to help you see out of this, there are some people you may like an awful lot and to whom you may have strong attachments But in reality, they are hindering you from being able to receive and then achieve your God-given dream. As painful as it may seem, if your dream is ever going to propel you to your destiny, you're going to have to release some of those people from your life. They're not going to help you fulfill your dream. They're going to drag you down. They're going to hinder your dream you're going to have to release them. 
I've discovered God will move people in and God will move people out of your life. When God starts moving people out of your life, don't try to hang on to them. Release them, let them go. Here's the last one. Rely on God's presence. Verse seven says, he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. Now, I don't know what everybody in Jacob's household thought they were going to see when they arrived back at Bethel, but I suspect it wasn't what was there. I mean, they had heard so much about the place where Jacob had an encounter with God. They had heard about this amazing dream of angels on a ladder and God speaking to him. But when they arrived at Bethel, the only thing there is a pile of rocks. There are no soaring arches. There is no grand cathedral. There are no ornate furnishings. There are no anthems being sung by angelic choirs. There's no celestial light illuminating the clearing. There is nothing but a barren, desolate place with a stone pillar in the midst. As they gather in that little clearing, disappointment is registering on their faces. But that's when Jacob erects an altar and gives the place a new name, El Bethel. And in that act, he makes a powerful proclamation. Bethel, you remember, means house of God. El Bethel means God of the house of God. In the act of renaming the place El Bethel, Jacob is letting us know it is important to embrace the place of spiritual roots and heritage. It is important to remember the promise and refocus your priorities. But he's also letting us know the most important thing isn't the place, it's the person. The most important thing isn't the house of God. The most important thing is the God of the house. The most important thing isn't the promise of God, it's the God of the promise. And maybe your dream has been shattered. But for all those who will trust him, I want to tell you God has another dream. God has a better dream. God has a bigger dream than anything you would ever come up with on your own. Perhaps there's somebody listening to this message today who had a dream of living happily ever after, but it was shattered in the divorce court. Perhaps there's somebody who had a dream of financial security, but it shattered in the bankruptcy. Perhaps you had a dream of professional accolades, but it shattered in the costly mistake or in the slander of a rival or the incompetence of subordinates. Perhaps you had a dream of athletic achievement, but it shattered after the injury. Maybe while I've been preaching this message, the Holy Spirit has brought to your remembrance a dream that has been shattered. If so, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for healing of the pain from that hurt. Broken dreams hurt. Oh, yes, they do. At the same time, I want to agree with you in prayer for a bigger, 
better God-sized dream for your life. And I want to believe with you that in this new year, you will be given the capacity to dream again. Don't stop dreaming. Dream again. Go back to the place and let God give you another dream. Bow with me, please. Oh, Lord, I've tried to deliver what I believe you gave me for these people for this time to the best of my ability. But I also know that my words are woefully inadequate. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you will come and birth something in our hearts today. Something that will give rise to a dream that will be honoring to you and will rise to the praise of your glory. Lord, I don't know who it is I'm praying for today, and I, and I don't need them to raise a hand. I don't need them to stand. I don't need them to come forward. You know, and they know, and it's what happens in their heart right now that can make all the difference. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you will go to each one of these people who is sharing in this prayer with me right now. <laughs> and, and somehow encourage them. Drive away the dark shadows of despair. And, and plant within them the seeds of a new possibility. A, a, a God-sized dream for their life. And give them the courage to dream again. Oh, God. Let us be people of the dream. God dreams. Bigger than we could ever conjure up ourselves. And then, when we dare to dream your dreams, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit will come into their lives in a new and fresh way. And will energize them. Give them an ability beyond themselves. And they will be able to see the fulfillment of your promise. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, I sense your touch right now. I sense your presence. You're touching. Put your finger on somebody's heart right now, Lord Jesus. They dare to dream again. Thank you. Thank you, oh Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for doing that. I thank you in advance for what I am convinced you're going to do in the lives of your people who are part of this household of faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.